Susan, I was tempted, I got to say, I was tempted to, to wait back there and not come up for a minute to see, watch you sweat for a sec. But. Oh, what a morning. Yeah, I'm grateful for this morning. Um, but we are also, too, continuing on with God's Word. Uh, we're continuing on with the series of First Peter. And just to give, catch some of you up who haven't been here for the last couple of weeks is one, this is a letter actually written by the Apostle Peter uh, who was actually lived with Jesus, followed him for years and learned from him directly. And he's actually writing this letter to a group of Christians in modern day Turkey and um, modern, modern day Turkey, a group of Christians who are on the outside. The culture around them, uh, as common throughout the first century uh, Mediterranean, weren't too fond of Christians. Um, they didn't think that they were, uh, because they, they would worship the emperor, they worshiped all these other gods. And Christians would say, we actually believe that Jesus is the one true God. And so they wouldn't engage in all these other things. And people began to wonder if they were really, uh, one, if they were traitors, if they were traitors against the empire, and two, if they were uh, somehow uh, bad for society. So Peter is writing uh, a church in this condition uh, to believers in this situation. And he's writing them because they were following Jesus and because they followed Jesus, they didn't fit in with the world around them. So last week we talked some uh, about uh, Peter, chapter, the last part of chapter one, and we were working through this text and realizing it's, it's a pocket guide to thriving. Um, Peter was encouraging this church to live well, especially when life gets hard. And he was encouraging them to, um, to look towards the future, towards their future hope, to, to act holy, to love one another, and to crave pure spiritual milk or to crave a growing relationship with Jesus. Well, this morning we move on to the next part of the letter, um, talking about chosen stones. That we, uh, Peter draws this image or makes this connection between stones, these texts that come from the Old Testament, uh, referring to Jesus as a living stone, us as living stones. And so let's dive in and see what this looks like. The first thing I wanted to mention, though, as I was studying this week, I realized this as I was uh, reading this passage and thinking about it, is that, one, this passage has a couple of key dichotomies, a couple of key divisions. Uh, the people, uh, it talks about people and uh, that they reject Jesus, this living stone. And so there are, uh, we are like Jesus as well. People reject us because of our faith, because we follow Jesus. There are people who look down on us, people who uh, are... Uh, who insult us because we follow Jesus or, or are patronizing to us because of that. But he also talks to you about how we are chosen stones, how we are living stones as well like Jesus. And so uh, Peter makes this point that there are some who, who reject Jesus and there are some who embrace him. And there's this, this world is divided in two. And so it got me asking, even in my own walk, this, in this jumbled world, where do we belong? Where do we fit in? This text is answering that question, where we fit in. It's a good answer. I don't know how many of you are also asking this question. Where do we fit in with our community? You know, as a follower of Jesus, how do I fit in with my friends and my neighbors? When they start saying, like, hey, we're going, we're having this huge, massive party. You know, do you want to come? And I want to go and I spend time with them, but I'm, I'm not drinking like everybody else. Or um, the world around us that says, you know, it's, it's about your money. Like that's where your value lies and how much you have and what you can buy. And I'm saying like, no, actually I try to give it away uh, to be a blessing to other people. It's that important to ask this question of where do we fit in with our culture? But this text is also maybe getting us to ask where do we fit in with God? You know, do we recognize Jesus for who he is? 
Are we interested? Or do we, are we seeking to know him and follow him more? Like I said, maybe some of you are asking these questions too, wondering where you fit in. You know, some of you are Christians here, many of you, most of you are Christians here, and maybe you're wondering, where do I fit in with the world around me? Because it seems like it's getting harder to be a Christian here. It's getting harder to say, I follow Jesus. Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're unsure and you're not sure, maybe, where do I fit spiritually? You know, could I follow Jesus? Or do I think some other way is better? Maybe some of you are here this morning and you're literally trying like hell to fit in with the world around us and you realize it's just not working. That no matter how hard you work to fit in, there's not much community. Or when things go wrong, people just drop you. And so you're wondering, where do I belong? This question or this passage this morning that we're going to look at gets at this question of where do we belong? So I have this good news for you <clears throat> because these questions that we're asking about where do we belong, where do we fit in, these are not just new to us. We're not the first group of Christians wrestling with this question. Actually, Christians have been working through this for centuries and the, the group that Peter is writing to, they had some of these same questions. So let's look at it together. If you would, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles or in your bulletins, you'll see if you open up the white part, there's our passage on the left. Or if you want to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, either way is good just there on the inside of the, the sermon guide. Let's begin with the first part. So Peter's writing to this church and he says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. And I was thinking about this. This is like the guiding statement for the whole passage we're going to be working through this morning. This guiding statement that Jesus was rejected by people. I mean, not only the people that he came to, uh, the Jewish leaders of his day, but even still, even to this very day, people reject Jesus. Some say he was a good teacher. Some say he was a quack. Some say he was even just made up. You know, it's interesting because, you know, there's all these different options and things. And it was, it was a, a famous Christian. Um, some of you might know him. His name was C.S. Lewis. Um, he was a theologian. He actually began his life as an atheist. He was a professor at Oxford and became a Christian. And he said, you know, because of Jesus, who he is, he is either the son of God or something completely evil. Because he did not, because of the way he taught, he doesn't leave the options open. He doesn't leave the idea that maybe he was just a good man. He doesn't leave that option open to us. And so already we see in this passage here that there, people were rejecting uh, Jesus. But also too, as we're going to get into this, we're going to realize that we too are living stones and that has implications for us, that we too face rejection. And it's interesting, too, as I think about this, and it's actually uh, Professor Karen Jobes, a New Testament scholar, her commentary that I've been reading. Uh, she was saying, you know, it's, it's not explicitly stated here, but the implicit thing here is that there's two building projects. There's the building project of humanity, where people get things through all sorts of means, greed, power, violence. And then there's God's project, the kingdom of God. And it talks about how Jesus is chosen and precious in that. So we get into this further. He says, and also you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. All right, the thing I want to point out here is, as part of this, it says that you are being built. This is an ongoing process. And this morning we caught another glimpse of it. This church, a few more living stones being added in uh, with Diane and with Shalem being baptized this morning. 
So the church is continually being built. But also, when I first read this, I was understanding it too, that each of us individually are continuing to be built up. Built up in Christ. To know who he is more deeply and to follow him more faithfully. It's an ongoing process. All right, the next thing he says, they're being built into a spiritual house. Spiritual house, this is the Old Testament way of saying a temple. I know sometimes we refer to this building as the house of God, and, I, and there's truth in that. But you, you, we are the temple of God. The Spirit of God is living in each of us. We are the living stones being built up into a house of God. I know that's maybe different than, than what we're used to thinking. And it's very different from the Old Testament where God actually lived in a building, in a temple. But we are the temple now. And so it's talking about how we are built together. And it's actually, again, Professor Jobs, who I was reading, and she was saying, you know, it's, it's key here because we're being built into a spiritual house, not into a bunch of individual temples, but into one temple, into one spiritual house that we depend on each other. She also made the point, too, that it's not just a bunch of stones scattered throughout the field or just piled in a pile, but built together for a purpose. For a purpose, one, to hold together, to support each other, but also to do God's work, to do kingdom work in our community. So he's talking about that we are the new people. We are the people of God. He talks about spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Now, in the Old Testament, sacrifices were specifically this. You, You would take an animal, that you would sacrifice, you would kill it, you would put blood on the altar. And it's really confusing. I mean, it's for us, like it seems so foreign to us, that way of relating to God. But in the New Testament, the sacrifices are different. They're no longer animals killed on an altar, but they are people, us, following Jesus faithfully. Those are the sacrifices, the spiritual sacrifices that Peter is talking about. As living stones, as a people built up into a church that we follow Jesus faithfully, Those are the sort of things that God delights in now. So he's talking about this devoted life. So to kind of put it all together, just in two words, he's talking about this connection of living stones. That Jesus is this living stone that was rejected by people, but we too are living stones like Jesus. And so that has implications for us. Not everybody thinks being a Christian is a great thing, and we run into that all the time. But not only that, but as living stones, we are being built up into a spiritual house for a purpose, for God's purpose. All right, you with me? Okay, the next. Moving down, he says, For in Scripture it says, See, I lay in Zion, or sorry, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And it's interesting, I wanted to point out here is that, that this is Yahweh talking. This is the Lord God, the creator of everything talking here. And he's the one who's saying, I laid a stone. That this is part of God's plan. I know that we look at the world and the way things are falling apart and violence and corruption and, and famine and all these things, and we wonder, like, is this really? Like, is, is, is something going wrong? And yes, things are wrong. Things are broken in this world, but that doesn't mean that somehow God is out of control. God is not somehow surprised by this or sitting down somewhere baffled, not knowing what to do. But God is the one who is at work. He has a plan, and he will bring it to fruition. And he says this, those who trust in him will never be put to shame. Despite the world around us that tries to make us feel embarrassed for following Jesus, the, the questions, the looks, the things that we face as followers of Jesus, despite all of that, 
If we follow him faithfully, we will never be put to shame. Ultimately, we will stand with him and we will rejoice. Now, I want to tell you that this thing, you see it's in, in quotation marks. This actually comes from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah, writing these words hundreds of years before Jesus. And in the context of that passage, actually Isaiah is talking about corruption that had happened uh, in Israel. And he's saying, I'm going to make a new beginning. A new beginning with a cornerstone. That's like, uh, I'm not a great mason. Actually, I'm a horrible mason. I don't know hardly anything about it. But I do know this. The cornerstone is the keystone. It's the one that you build the rest of the building off of. And so Jesus is this keystone, this new stone, this first stone, the guiding stone. And so Jesus is this guiding stone who the rest of this new beginning, this new project, this new uh, phase of God's salvation of humanity. Okay, so Peter's on a roll here. So he keeps going with Old Testament quotes. He says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become a capstone. Uh, Again, a capstone, that's an alternate word also for the cornerstone. We think of the cap at the top, but it's saying like the most important stone, cornerstone. And the stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Again, you see this in quotes. These actually come from the Old Testament again from Psalm 118.22 and from Isaiah 8.14. The point that Peter is making here is that the stone that the world around us rejects, this Jesus of Nazareth, has actually become the capstone, the cornerstone, the most important stone of God's creation, of God's kingdom. But he also makes this point too that those who rejected him, who thought that they were rejecting Jesus, in the end they are the ones that fall. And it's interesting here because he says this. He says, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. And, you know, this is really thick stuff here. Some of you reading this, you might be picking up on the implications about, like, so does God predestine people to reject him? Like, is that, does God do that? You know, and that's, that's a complicated thing. There have been followers of Jesus for centuries who have tried to work that out. I'll tell you where I come down. I think this passage, at very least, uh, Peter is saying that there is a group of people that God knew would reject Jesus. I don't know if he's speaking specifically of individuals, but God knew when he sent a Messiah, when he sent a Savior who would say, follow God, live his way, that there would be people who reject it. And we see that today. There are people who reject Jesus. Now, maybe he's a nice guy, Maybe he's made up, but I'm not in for any of that. God knew that that would happen. But I don't think that that means that people still can't change. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and you think to yourself, you know, I'm still not sure. Your fate is not sealed. Even this morning, even right now, you can begin believing in Jesus and following him. And it's okay, trust me, when I began following Jesus, I had way more questions than answers. And I still have tons of questions. I mean, I just told you about predestination, stuff that I'm still working out. But I do believe this, that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he lived, he died on a cross, and I believe that he was risen again. That God raised him again, and Jesus now sits at God's right hand. And because I believe that, that shapes the rest of my life. So Peter is saying that he knew this group would reject him. 
And so I started thinking about this, that not only is Jesus a living stone, but he's also a splitting stone. The world gets split into two groups. Those that believe and those that don't. Those who reject Jesus and those who follow him. And it's hard for me as a pastor. (laughs) Those are hard words for me to say because I care about... uh, I care about people. I want people to see who Jesus is. But it's also the way Jesus described it. This is the way that God described it. That there are people who just flat out refuse him. And as much as I don't want that to be true, it is true. So I guess I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, follow him. <laughs> That's what I desire for you. So Peter keeps going. And he says, so he talks about the people who reject him, and now he switches gears. And he starts speaking to the people who believe, to this church that he's writing to. And he says, but you. And so I'm going to take Peter's words and I want to speak them to you. You. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God. This is who you really are in Jesus. This is your identity. I know we get all sorts of names and called all sorts of things, but in Jesus, this is who we really are. This is who you are. These words actually come from Exodus 19, another Old Testament book. And for those of you who are new to Peter, he pretty much speaks in, New Test- or sorry, in Old Testament quotations. He's deeply, he's steeped in the scriptures. This comes from the covenant moment. So for those of you who don't know Exodus all that well, God has brought the people of Israel hundreds of years before Jesus brought them out of Egypt, saved them from slavery. And they're here at Mount Sinai, this place where they've come to meet God. And God tells Moses to say these words to the people, to tell them that they are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to him. God says, Moses, go tell them that. Moses does. And they say, the people respond back, essentially with, we will follow Yahweh. We will follow God. It's this moment that, that the people of God moves from a large family to a nation, to a people, to Israel. And here's the thing. Peter is taking these words that, were, that, that God had originally spoken to Israel and he speaks them to the church. That we too have been grafted in like a branch, like an apple tree branch that's taken from one tree and, and patched into another. We have been grafted into the people of God. We belong to God now. And all of this so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. We've been made a people of God largely for our benefit that we can be right with our Father in heaven but also for his purpose as well that we can proclaim his praise we can tell people how he's changed our lives. We can tell people the good design he has for this creation. And then he goes on to say this. He says, once you were not a people but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, not surprising, Peter's quoting from a prophet, Hosea. Hosea was speaking these words to Israel 
hundreds of years before they were taken out of their homeland and made slaves again. He's speaking to them, reminding him that God will be with them, that they are his possession. The thing is, Peter is telling this church, and I think he's telling them, realizing that this church, this church that he's writing to 2,000 years ago, they are fulfillment of this prophecy. This people who were just a group of people in the Mediterranean somewhere had become a part of the family of God. These words hold true for us 2,000 years later. My family came from Europe, nowhere close to Israel. (laughs) And yet because of Jesus and his grace, I've been made a part of the family of God. Many of us have stories like this. You are a part of God's family because of Jesus, not because of something we've done or our lineage or our heritage, but because of God and his grace. So if you could sum this up and say that you belong. We began this morning asking this question, where do we fit? How do I make it? You know, because I'm trying, I'm trying hard to fit in and it's just not working. This morning, to hear the good news that you belong. And I was thinking the words that we've been speaking even around baptism, Diane and my son Shalem, in a new way this morning you belong. You belong here. We belong in this place. This is who we really are. I say this so that we, we would accept. That we would accept it. One, first of all, that in the world around us, it's hard to fit. In fact, I'd say it's pretty much futile for us as followers of Jesus to fit in with the culture around us. And we just accept that. I mean, I do my best to not seem weird, <laughs> but... I realize that there are things about me that will never mix with the world around us. So I accept that. And for us to not be confused or expect that someday it will, we will, we just let that go. But I'm also realizing this morning, and this is what I want for you too, is that you realize that we don't have to be ashamed of that. We can accept who we are as God's people. And that one day, all of the embarrassment that maybe we face right now because we follow Jesus, one day we will be vindicated. It will be made right when we stand with Jesus. And the thing too, and I want you to realize this, is that you belong here. That you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Imagine if we just embrace that. Imagine if we stopped trying to fit in with the world around us and we just embraced who we are because of Jesus. That we realize that we belong here. That for all of our trying, all of our striving to fit somewhere else, just by the fact of believing Jesus, we belong here. Imagine if we did that. This morning has been amazing. We saw Diane and Shalem take this amazing step closer to Jesus this new birth into a living hope. And we remember these exact words I spoke them, that we belong here, that you are our chosen people, that we belong here. Amen.